This morning's passage, as you can probably see up here, it's chapter 3 in Proverbs. We're going to look at the first 12 verses. He says, My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you, but bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart, so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all of your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. Thank you. You may be seated. It's always good to stand here and have you interested in the Word of God and to be able to discuss the Word of God with you. It's especially uh, a blessing for me today, for, for this is a special day, um, in that this is probably the last sermon that I'll give officially in the rotation. And uh, it's a blessing because it's just been a, a great privilege over the past 25 years to serve this body of believers. And, and uh, the church has just been so kind to me and my wife, and we just love you dearly. But it just seems like a natural thing for us now. Uh, we are going to have a new grandbaby, and she is going to be the sweetest thing. So we're headed down there for, uh, our baby will be born around May, and we're building a house in Conroe. And uh, there is a passage of scripture that I wanted to read to you that I thought was apropos in the 21st chapter of John. Um, Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. <laughs> and that's the truth. <laughs> May God bless the reading of his word. <laughs> this morning I want to talk to you about piety. You know, when, you, uh, when you're the older guy, you can't believe that you got this old this quick, that this much time passed, and it has. And when you're leaving, uh, I was thinking about what a profound thing that this is a text assigned to me this morning, because it's one of those parental proverbs where the father speaks to the son. There are 10 of them in the first seven chapters of Proverbs. And, uh, and, and it's just words of wisdom from one generation to the next. It's passing on, it's saying a few things for the next generation to lay hold of, and that's what I, I want to do this morning. This is a very practical book for the covenant community, it gives us wisdom for living in a way that pleases God, and it, it instructs us and exhorts us 
regarding piety as God's covenant people. In our, in our age today, we think very little about piety. We don't, uh, we don't want to harm anybody. We don't want to be offensive as Christians. But somehow we've forgotten about piety, this dynamic devotion to God where we want to follow Him and please Him. But God commands us to be holy as He is holy. Jesus has facilitated that holiness through the Holy Spirit. And, and we are to be all about pleasing God and all into it every day. So even though this uh, book originally spoke to the the theocratic community under the Old Covenant, it it extends to you and to me and to all who live under that new covenant established in Jesus' blood. Our scripturally informed, spirit-empowered piety presents hope even for those who see us outside, who observe our lives as spirit-filled believers. And so this morning we want to lay hold of this wisdom, wisdom that is uh, very practical in that it teaches us how to use and, and gives us the skill to use the information that we have, how to obey all that Christ has commanded us, how to obey uh, what the Word of God says. And so this morning, if you just listen to the old guy, um, I'm not talking down to you or anything, but I do want to just give you some advice, uh, just words of wisdom, and this, this uh, proverb serves as a vehicle for that. I want to talk to you this morning about maintaining this covenant relationship that we're in, with God and doing it in everyday decision-making and doing it with sincere worship, with sincerity in our worship. And uh, so I'm going to pray again for us, okay? Our Father, I pray that you would bless the reading of your word. I pray that you would help me to uh, exegete this passage, to exposit this passage. And I pray for everyone that you would give us all ears to receive what you want them to hear. In Christ's name, amen. You know, uh, the, this, this passage has a lot of structure. I was really happy to see it. Sometimes you think of Proverbs, since they're just all over the map, as, as uh, having the pattern of a shotgun blast on a piece of paper. You know, you can't really see the pattern in it often. But this one is distinctively structured. It has a beginning and an end. We call it an inclusio. It starts with my son. It ends with my son. It, it's, it starts with hang on to these things and it ends with a, an exhortation not to be sabotaged by your suffering. But then it, it progresses in a very rhythmic way. It gives a, an imperative or a directive and then it has the promises that come with fulfilling those, those uh, or obeying those directives. So let's begin with the inclusio and I want to talk to you as young, younger people about not letting your spiritual life, your covenant relationship with God be compromised uh, either uh, by inattention or by uh, not interpreting correctly the suffering that you'll go through as a Christian. He says, My son, forget not my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life uh, and peace they will add to you. Don't forget my teaching. Sometimes we think about forgetting as accidental. Here it's probably talking about something that's deliberate. Like when I was a kid in high school, I was so disinterested in what I was being taught that I studied in order to take the test and then I deliberately forgot it. I mean, I deliberately got it off my mind. And I could do that just by thinking about quail hunting or bass fishing. It just (laughs) purged my mind of all that useless information that I wish I had really laid hold of. But here he's saying, don't forget it. Don't just 
saying, oh, that's the old guy, and those are the old people, and that's just another generation, and what do they know? And, you know, I've got a better idea about how to live life. Here he's, he's not just talking about my teaching, but it's actually the word Torah. It's the law and the commandments. And he said, don't forget these. Hang on to those. And how do you do that? Well, I want to encourage you to daily feed on the Word of God and to, to just be patient in it. Have a specific time where you're deliberate about it. And you, you've heard me say before, I love to, I read my Bible on the computer. I have my cup of coffee and I'm alone because I'm the only morning person in my family. And, and uh, Linda's a night owl and I'm a morning person. So, and it really works out well there because that honeydew list is the most intrusive and interrupting thing you could imagine. I call it kryptonite, of course. So, uh, <laughs> anyway, Linda has her time for studying the Bible and I have mine, but we have our daily time. I see her and her patterns and she's sees me and mine and we leave one another alone when that's going on because we are listening to God from his word and, and the only way to maintain it is to feed on it day by day and that's the way to, to know what it is that pleases God in order to be able to, to, to have an informed walk with, with God and he says for length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you without the peace of God in our life Long days and long, many years is just more of a curse than it is a blessing. But, but if you have peace with God that facilitates peace with other people in the body of Christ, the, the, the long days and the, and the many years is just a great blessing because you get to live a long, full and full life. So let's dive into the text itself that, uh, get, now that we've got past that introduction. He, he talks about covenant love and faithfulness. He says, let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. And this, is, this combination of words is used especially to refer to God's covenant faithfulness, God's covenant love. And so he's not talking about you hanging on, making sure that you, are, you have that kind of love and that kind of faithfulness. He's talking about the fact that your spiritual life can wane. You can allow it to be mitigated or harmed just by inattention. If you don't hang on to it, here in just a little bit, we're going to take the Lord's Supper, and it's one of the ways that we uh, maintain that covenant relationship with God in a passionate way. I'm so thankful that when Jeff came, I, I think we were doing it once a month, and uh, he said, let's, let's do the Lord's Supper every Sunday like the early church did because it's part of that spiritual maintenance. It's how we pay attention to God. And, and it's how we invite uh, God's love toward us. It's how we invite His faithfulness toward us. Of course, He's always faithful. His love is perfect and His mercies are new every morning. But we can cease to experience that. You know, I hear many Christians sometimes say, if I could only get back to that walk with God I had when I was first saved, I would just love to get back to that. And they're talking about a time when they, when they first got saved, everything was new and bright, and they, just, they knew that a miracle had just happened. They, they, their eyes had been opened to the gospel, and, and they, they knew that God was at work in their life. And they had this little naive, simplistic expectation that God was going to do something. May God help us all get back to that naive, childlike faith where we're wondering what God is going to do next, you know. 
And, and, and you know, you can just get too busy or you can just get grow cynical through the influence of the world or you can just get tired in your Christian life. You can stop listening. You can stop maintaining. And you can let that experience of God's love, that experience of His faithfulness, wane a little bit. And I want to tell you that today you can get back to that place where you were when you first got saved just by reckoning yourself dead to wisdom your own wisdom and alive unto God and, and giving yourself over to the Spirit's filling and letting God speak to you through His Word and anticipating and being available for what He wants to do through you. You can get back to that, and I encourage you to do that and maintain it. We, we are responsible. This covenant relationship is a relationship. It's not just a legal contract. It's not just a forensic thing where you're declared forgiven and and then you hang on till you go to heaven. This is something that you experience day by day until Jesus comes or you go. And, and we, you know, we've got to focus on Him. If we've been saved, we need to set our mind on things above. We need to set our focus on the author and the finisher of our faith. And so here's this directive. Don't let, it, don't let it fade. Don't let it dissipate. Don't let it wane. You know, just... Bind his, his commandments, what you know about His will, His Word. Bind it to your heart around your neck. Write it on the tablet of your heart, He says. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of man and God. You know, Jesus grew in stature and favor with God and men. And, and uh, we can certainly grow. So how do we let that steadfast love and faithfulness forsake us? Just by inattention. And uh, we have to make sure that we don't do that, where we focus on maintaining it. And then we, uh, we enhance this covenant relationship through our decision-making. Sometimes we think, okay, I went to church, and I was with the people of God, and I prayed, I closed my eyes, I sang to God, now I've got to go back to work. And you go out and... You get in your car and you have feelings toward other people that are nothing short of pagan. And, uh, you know, you, you're with your wife or your husband and you have a, a conversation and you get angry and you act like you don't know Christ at all. You know, you compartmentalize your Christianity and you go over here and, and you think, well, this is the real world. Church, we'll try to be really good. We'll dress differently and talk differently and act differently and even feel differently there. But then we'll go somewhere else. The rest of the week, and we, we are indistinguishable from the rest of the world, and it, it shouldn't be that way. It comes down to our moment-by-moment -moment decision making. The Christian life is a walk. It is a series of steps. So he says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding in all your ways. Acknowledge Him. So how do you do that? I mean, you know, the heart is... is uh, Des deceitful above all things. It's desperately sick. Who can understand it? How can you love God with a fallen heart? Well, this is how you do it. You're in union with Christ. As a believer, you're spiritually united with Christ. His history is your history. He, he was crucified and you were crucified. He was buried and your old self was put in the grave. He was made alive and you were vivified by the Spirit. He was raised out from among the spiritually dead, separated from the spiritually dead, and so were you. And he was even enthroned in the heavenlies, and you are today. Now, if you write that off as just Bible rhetoric, 
If you write that off just as positional and impractical theology, you won't experience the filling of the Spirit like God wants you to. We trust in the Lord with all of our heart first by dealing with that old nature. You know, I, I was so thankful for Zach getting in the pulpit and talking about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The, that phrase was very significant. God told Adam, from any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat from it. For in the day you eat therefrom you will surely die. And the devil tempted Eve and said, look, it's beautiful, probably it's delicious, she thought. And it will make you wise and you be can become like God. And that's exactly what happened when sin entered into the world through one man. What came in wasn't just lying or sinful anger or, a, a, or adultery or any number of the list of sins, but this attitude that we know what's best for us, even more than God. We can become our own God and be independent of Him. And that is the sin nature. And so... When we decide to, when we want to trust in the Lord with all of our heart, we have to deal with that old man that trusts in self and trusts in our own wisdom. And you have to deal with it through the cross. Don't lean on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge Him. The translators there, almost all of them, translate this word that's uh, yada here. It's the imperative of yada. They translate it acknowledge, but really that's not. That's not a translation for that word. It's know Him. Know Him. I want you to know that this Christianity thing is not an academic exercise. Sure, it has some of the deepest, most profound theology, and it's a great gymnastic exercise for the mind. But it, if it's not experience, it's just death. It just makes you more culpable for God if it's just information. But to know God is to know Him experientially. And he says, in all of your ways, wherever you go, whatever you're doing, know God. Be aware of His presence. Practice His presence. Talk to Him. And, and listen to Him. And, and when you have those moments when you're tempted to be angry or resentful or unforgiving or, or whatever, know God. Experience Him. And the way you do that is by reckoning yourself to be alive unto God. God made you alive by His Spirit. His Spirit dwells in you. And Jesus is in heaven. And the, Jesus, the Spirit that dwells in you is the Spirit of Christ. And you're united. You have an open line. There's no, there's no interference there if you are uh, listening to Him and believing that you're alive unto Him. He can impress you with a thought. He can convict you of a sin. He can be grieved and you can know it. He can compel you to do something. He can flood you with love and, and make you want to witness to someone or love someone or give something away. God can do it, but you've got to get into this thing experientially. This is a Christian life and the Spirit is called the Spirit of life in union with Christ Jesus. So this is how we get past that thing that keeps us from trusting in the Lord. And this is how we don't lean on our own understanding. This is how we trust Him all the way. And it says He will make our path straight. That doesn't make it mean that He will make it easy. You know, the Christian life is anything but easy. It's absolutely impossible. 
And all of you, I can look across here and I see people who've had all manner of heartache. I know I've had lots of heartache. And at times when something happens that really hurts me, I'm tempted to say, God, why? But I'm going to hold that till we get to the end of the inclusio because that is an important question. He goes on to say, Don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. The essence of the sin nature is confidence in our own wisdom. That's what Adam passed down to you and me, is confidence in our own wisdom apart from God. We think we can manage life on our own apart from the supernatural leading of the Lord. He says, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. And it will be, and here's the promise, it will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. How does the believer need this kind of restoration? How is it that the believer needs this kind of refreshment? He does because of the injury and the anxiety and the fatigue that comes with being at odds with God, living your own way, doing your own thing. It's just, that's just a miserable experience, isn't it? That's the kind of thing that insects, Romans 7, Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from the body of this death, this body that is described as, a, as spiritual death, the kind of death that came through the fall with Adam. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God that by the Holy Spirit we can have that life restored. And then, you know, there's another way that uh, we enhance this covenant relationship we have with God, and it's through our sincere worship. He says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of your produce. You know, in uh, Isaiah 6, where the angels are around the throne and they are shouting and proclaiming repeatedly and ceaselessly holy 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 is the lord god and and there those angels are worshiping god and they are attributing to him this absolute uh infinite quality of being perfect, pure, and separate from all of his creation in his absolute holiness. Well, here, that word holy, that would be used as an adjective, is here used as a verb, saying, honor the Lord with your wealth. And it's like people going about with their possessions that they would normally cling to and seeing a need or just coming into the worship service and, and, and just releasing their possessions and saying, holy, holy, I want, I want to honor you, Lord. I want to show you with my possessions and the very first fruits of them that all that I have and all that I am belongs to you. And I want to acknowledge to you, Lord, that you give me the ability to make wealth. And I want to express my absolute and utter dependence on you to sustain me when I give this offering. So I don't want to wait until, uh, until I've paid all my bills or bought everything I want to buy. 
I want to set aside the first fruits of my offering regularly and joyfully and in proportion to how I've been blessed. And I want to walk into the house of God and say, holy, holy, holy. I want to release it that it might bless people. I want you to, because you know the Bible says that God gives seed to the sower, to the sower. Seed to the sower. He will give you that you might give, that you might be a blessing to others. And so this stewardship of our material possessions is, is an expression of our sincere worship. It's not just giving to keep the organization going. It's not just giving to pay the bills. It's giving to worship God. Now I want to speak to some of you younger people because I'm telling you that the devil is a liar and when you encounter suffering and you know you're going to, you're going to say, why, God? Why am I going through this? I love you. I've prayed to receive Christ. I'm your child. How could this happen to me? Well, the first thing I want to remind you of is that some of you came to faith through the gift of suffering. It was through that horrendous hardship that you were broken and you knew the gospel and you cried out and you said, okay, Lord, I can't trust myself anymore. I, I want to trust in Christ. And that's how you came to faith. But this continues to work this way. And this inclusio, in this ending of the, the, the verses, he says, my son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. The writer of the book of Hebrews, you know, takes this passage in the 12th chapter of Hebrews and repeats it. And I want to encourage you, as you try to interpret the events and the experiences, those suffering, crucifying experiences of your life, interpret them in light of the God's sovereign goodness. See, we ask, the devil says, God isn't smart enough. God isn't powerful enough. And God just doesn't care. And that's where we, we, we experience that. And if we've been inattentive to the truths of the gospel, we begin to buy into that. And we begin to be angry toward God. Then we begin to be passive aggressive toward God. And it sabotages us in our covenant relationship with God. So whatever it is you're going through, you may be like Joseph. Later on, you may get all the answers to what happened to you. you say, oh, yes. They meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. But you may be like Job. And you just have to say, God is God, and I'm not. And I may or I may not get the answers, even in eternity. But God is always good. He's all-knowing. He's infinitely powerful. Whatever God does is good and purposeful in your life. And basically, it's discipline, not in the sense of punishing you for the sake of punishing you, like He's just this divine cruel person. But God knows what it takes to crush your confidence in your own wisdom apart from Him. So that you will be absolutely and always dependent on Him. 
And in eternity, that's what you will be rewarded for, is your faith in Him. So, he says, the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. Now, it doesn't feel, and it, I should just say it's counterintuitive to thank God in all things. It's counterintuitive to thank God when you're suffering. But when you're suffering, God is doing some of his, his finest parental work in your life, conforming you to the image of his son. It was granted to us not only to believe in Jesus, but also to suffer with Him as part of our life. So I encourage you. I leave that with you. Would you pray with me before we take the Lord's Supper in order to maintain this covenant relationship we have with the Father? Oh, Father, what a joy it is for me to look out and see so many new faces here. And I'm so thankful that these pastors love you and they are committed and faithful to your word and they are teaching the principles and the doctrines that are straight and true and Lord I have so much hope for this church in the future part of that hope is I just know that you'll keep doing what you do with all of us and that is you'll, you'll break us You'll break us and crush us in order to remold us and to shape us into the image of your Son. And we say to you, Lord, do whatever it takes. Keep working on us, Lord. Don't, don't stop, Lord. Keep, keep chiseling away at everything that doesn't look at Je like Jesus. Father, as we take communion, we just uh, pray that you'll help us to experience you. Help us to deliberately know you. And I ask this in Christ's name. Amen.